How's that? Ooh, loud and clear. We tested that before too, you know that microphone, it worked before, but the way things happen. Great to be with you here today. Uh, my name is Todd. I am the lead pastor of this church. And it's a real pleasure here to be uh, amongst these people as we come and serve Jesus Christ here in the Goulburn Valley, the greatest shepherd in the area, to uh, let people know about the great news, the good news of the gospel that uh, Jesus Christ has saved us. The last couple of lines of that song actually brought a tear to my eye. His wounds have paid my ransom. If we can just think on that, that is just glorious. His wounds have paid my ransom. That is just a wonderful, wonderful good news. Uh, a couple of things that I forgot to mention to Caleb to let you know. We do have a newish event um, after the service today. So some of those um, who know about it, or if you're new to the church and would like to know some more about us, it'll be around about quarter past 12 thereabouts. Um, we'll go into there and uh, do that. That was all I had. Okay, let me start this up now for us. This is going to be a bit hard for me today, okay? Because I normally have both hands free. So I'm going to have to have this one hand sort of stuck here. But let's, uh, let's see how we go. Hey, can you imagine this with me for a moment? Imagine that you've been called together for a mission. Uh, the people have all been gathered around you and the commander of this mission now addresses the group. He tells you that you've been sent to rescue people from the top of Mount Everest. There's 10 people trapped up there and they're running out of oxygen fast. The next thing he does, the commander that is, he hands you out the equipment and the tools to carry out this mission. You all stand there as the, as the commander walks by and he hands you what you need to carry out this mission. Each person is given a tennis racket and a pair of ballerina shoes. It's not going to work, is it? You need the right tools to carry out the mission. A pair of ballerina shoes and a tennis racket will not help you to climb Mount Everest and to rescue people who are running out of oxygen. You need the right tools. Uh, today, as we step out the vision plan here of Exchange Church, we're going to look at the tools that God gives to us to carry out this mission. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, just turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to read just a short passage that will help um, set us up with where we are going. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1, says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course... Hang on, the, wind, the fan just blew my pages over. <laughs> Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus 
for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, Lord, we give you thanks and praise that we can gather together here this morning. We ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would come and uh, breathe upon this word, that you would bring this word alive in our hearts, that it would not just be merely ink on pages, it would be what it really is, and that is the living word of God. And Holy Spirit, only you can do that. And we ask for you to do that now, and we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Okay, so over the month of February, uh, we are unpacking the Exchange Church Vision Plan 2025. Uh, we've put together over the last few months a plan to see where this church uh, is going to go over the next five years to reach out into the Greater Shepparton, Goulburn Valley area with the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. So we've been sitting down thinking, how is this going to look? What are we going to do? to make an impact here for the gospel. Uh, so last week we started that and we discovered there last week that the core mission of Exchange Church, the core mission has been and always will be bringing glory to God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. We got that from the Great Commission in Matthew 28. That is the core mission, really should be the core mission of every church. It's about making disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, we also saw that though connected with the great commandment in Matthew 22 and the great commandment there is to love God with our heart, mind, soul and strength. So we pulled those two things together, the great commandment and the great commission and that is to make disciples of Jesus Christ in a living and loving relationship with him, a glorious relationship where the whole person is engaged in a flourishing relationship or life of gospel growth in Christ is the core mission of the church. So everything we do, we said last week, everything we do here at Exchange Church is contributing to that mission in some way. Everything we do here is, is looking to make and build disciples of Christ in a living and loving relationship with him. So today we want to step that out a little bit further as we unpack this plan. Uh, if you want to have a copy of the plan, there is some hard copies down there. If you want an email copy, I will send you a PDF file. I would love to do that. Come and see me after the service. So today we want to step that plan out just a little bit further. And the question I want us to ask is this. What is the vehicle that helps us to carry out this mission that will fulfill the vision? Or in other words, what has God given us to make disciples of Jesus Christ? What are the tools that he's given us to do this? Now this is really important for us to see and understand because what we hear or what we see here is that it reveals the generous nature of who God is. He really is generous. God not only gives us this mission to carry out but he also provides the abilities and the tools that we need to carry out this mission. He's not a stingy God, he's a very generous God. He gives us exactly what we need. And what we're going to contend for today is this, that the gospel is the vehicle, that the gospel is the power that God has given to us to carry out this mission. It's the power of the gospel. Now, having said that, that sometimes can be, well, what's the gospel? It probably requires another whole talk, but here's the gospel in a paragraph. God, as the sovereign eternal being, created mankind for his glory. Humanity has rebelled against God's rule and ownership of our lives. This rebellion we call sin, started with Adam and Eve right back as the first two human beings. God's judgment upon them for rebelling against God is death for that rejection of him. But God, in grace and mercy, sends Jesus, his one and only son, to take our place by dying on that cross for the penalty of our sin. 
Jesus rose from the grave declaring all sin has been paid for by his perfect life. And now as we put our trust in his death and resurrection and life, we are forgiven of all sin and we enter into eternal life. Now that's the gospel in a nutshell. Uh, it really does take a lot more expanding upon that. But just to be clear, when I talk about the gospel, it's a, it's a communicated message in that paragraph in a nutshell. Okay, So when, I, when I'm talking the gospel, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, and I'm going to make another point later on to say that the gospel actually is all of the scriptures from uh, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Because what is the Bible? The Bible is one story. It's a grand narrative of one story. And what is that story? It is God's rescue plan for humanity from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. The Bible is the gospel in its entirety. Let me also make this clear as well because sometimes people say, well, what about this? When I talk about the gospel being the vehicle that God has given us, I'm also saying this. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God, is, is the empowering presence of God that works through the gospel and us to give it its power. Some people, oh, well, what do you mean the gospel is the, Yeah, the Holy Spirit's there. Uh, I'll make this really clear, that, the, that God's word and God's spirit are inseparable. They're not sort of two things floating apart from each other. God's word and God's spirit actually work in harmony together. We don't separate them. So it's really vital to see here that when I'm talking about the gospel being God's vehicle, I'm implicitly meaning the Holy Spirit working through the message of the gospel to give it its power. Okay, now to get our minds thinking in the right direction here as we think about this today, as we unpack this plan a little bit further, come with me to Romans chapter 1, 16, 17. In your Bibles, or we'll put up there in the screen, or you can open up on your electronic device, whatever floats your boat there. Okay, Romans chapter 1 says this in verse 16. Paul writing to the Romans, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that is the gospel, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I love Paul. He's really clear. There's no confusion there for him as he writes this. He's not ashamed of the gospel. Why is Paul not ashamed of the gospel? Because he says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's the power. It's the message of who Jesus is. And not just the message itself, but it's the message about the person of Jesus. It's the power of salvation. God's saving truth is revealed through faith as we believe it. And God's saving truth is for our continuing faith at the same time. So the power is from the gospel as the Holy Spirit brings it alive within our hearts. When I read this, we're not believing this is just ink on pages, as I said in my opening prayer. We believe God's inspired this, and what he does with it actually impacts our life in a very supernatural way. That's the gospel. So this gospel comes to us in two ways. Two ways. It's salvation initially, that we are saved as God brings this message alive in our hearts. But then it's also for our life transformation for the rest of our days. The gospel saves us, and then the gospel changes us. It saves us, and then it keeps changing us all the way through. 
And this is the gospel that we're going to talk about today that drives our mission for Vision Plan 2025. The gospel which is the power of God unto salvation. So firstly, you might say, well, why did I choose this passage here from Ephesians? I chose this because it really highlights the miraculous power of God in salvation. If we can just get inside this for a few minutes, you will see here it is a tale of two contrasts. There's two things that have happened here. And the contrasts are this. One is death and the other is life. One is death and the other is life. Look at verses 1 to 3 there in Ephesians. Uh, it's a really bleak picture of humanity. It's not good. It's not positive. It's not encouraging. But it's the truth. That's how it is. We're dead in our sins. We're following the ways of this world. We're following the deceptive influences of Satan. We're carrying out the rebellious passions of our flesh. And we're earning God's wrath by our rejection of him. Paul's just putting it out there. He's just saying how it is. He says we are dead in our sins. Now when we say that we mean people are very much physically alive. But spiritually there's no life in them at all outside of Jesus Christ. Dead in their sins. Sin has killed our spiritual connection or, spirit, or relationship with God. And what Paul gives here is this picture of death is very stark and very hopeless. Think about this as Paul's painting this picture here about being dead in their sins. What hope does a dead body have lying on the bottom of the ocean to be able to swim to the surface and regain new life again? What hope does it have? None. You think of a dead body lying at the bottom of the ocean and there could be one kilometre of water above them, it's got no hope. It's impossible, isn't it? It can't happen. A dead body lying on the bottom of the ocean is completely powerless to do anything. It's totally unable to do anything. But this is what Paul's saying. You who were dead, unable, powerless in your sins is who you are. And here's the point I'm trying to make as I think about that, as Paul's just said that to us in Ephesians, that sin is our biggest problem in life. It is our major, it is the number one problem in our life. When I don't worship God as supreme, or I don't live like God as supreme in my life, and then my life then falls way short in glorifying him, so much so that I have sinned against him, when that has happened, that is my biggest problem in life. That is my biggest problem in life. In carrying out the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ, it's really important that we see that as the number one problem in people's lives. Let me say this lovingly, sensitively and truthfully though. Yours or my low self-esteem isn't the biggest problem in my life. It isn't. The way I've been possibly put down or ridiculed by my parents in my upbringing isn't the biggest problem in my life. A life of rejection and loneliness isn't the biggest problem in my life. A life of broken relationships, where I've come out totally messed up out of all that, isn't the biggest problem in my life. It's really important that we see that. 
Now, hear me clearly, all those issues are powerfully destructive in our lives and very, very difficult to, to deal with and experience. And they will cause huge amounts of pain and emotional hurt. And I will sympathise with anybody going through that sort of thing. It is hard stuff. It is hard work. But those things aren't the biggest problem in our life. Our sin, our falling short of a loving God who supremely rules over us, and no matter what circumstances I'm going through, it's our sin that actually kills me spiritually and separates me from God. It's not these other problems. Experiencing rejection and loneliness from other people will not cut me off from God. It may cut me off from other people, but it won't cut me off from God. It's a problem. It's a really big problem. But it's not the biggest problem in my life. And it's important to keep this in mind as we think about the mission that people's biggest problem is their sin against God. And the reason I say that because we can get overwhelmed or swamped by all their other problems. Now, what I would contend is we can certainly use whatever's happening in somebody's life or my life to highlight the brokenness of this world, but we actually want to get back to the point of highlighting this all stems from a broken relationship with God. It's all the consequences of us turning our backs upon God. Now, everything will actually have a result of coming good again to some extent as we renew our relationship with God, but it always gets back to primarily our broken relationship with God is our biggest problem in life. In verses 1 and 2, this is what Paul's actually saying here. He says, dead in our trespasses and sin. It's owning our own shortcomings, our own um, shortfall before the Lord. But Paul turns this around. He highlights something very different now. Look in the next couple of verses there, but God steps in to save the day in verses 4 and 5. He says this, but God. It's a massive change from where Paul's been for the first three verses. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, Paul comes back to it again, even, even, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So we've gone from death now to life. I've gone from being dead now to now being alive. And Paul breaks off and says, by grace you've been saved, and then follows on from there. Here's the picture of what's happened in this uh, story here that Paul's giving us. Yep, we're lying dead on the bottom of the ocean, spiritually speaking. Unable to do anything. Completely powerless. God reaches down to the bottom of that ocean. He picks us up and he brings us to the surface. And he breathes new life into us. That's a miracle. That's what the gospel is all about. Not what I have done. It's about what God has done for me. I'm lying on the bottom of the ocean, powerless and unable to do anything. But God reaches down in Christ, picks me up and brings me to the surface and breathes new life into me. This is the power of the mission. It's the life of Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what Paul is showing us here in this passage. And this is the vehicle that we will take out to impact the Greater Shepherd and Goulburn Valley area and beyond as we support our missionaries as well, is the life, death and resurrection of Christ. That is the power of God unto salvation. Now, maybe you're the first time here at Exchange Church. Maybe the first time you've ever been into a church. 
We're glad you're here. We'd love to have new people come and visit us here at Exchange. We would love to share with you this message of Jesus. You might be thinking, I've sort of heard bits and pieces about him, but I'm not exactly sure what he did. Well, this is what the gospel is all about in this Jesus Christ. Uh, his life, death and resurrection. But we're going to talk more about this in a couple of weeks as we really unpack how this mission looks. More of that then. Okay, now I want to change a little bit of direction here, still with the idea of the gospel. Okay, we've covered there, the gospel saves us. And that's the only thing that saves us through the life of Jesus Christ. But I want to change direction a bit here with this and say, sometimes we get confused and we think that the gospel is something you hear at the start and you just don't need it again after that. You just hear the message of the gospel at the start and that's it. Now I can sort of move on and sort of leave that behind. No, it's not how it is. The gospel's vital in salvation, but the gospel is also vital in transformation as well, transforming us. When we're saved, when the Holy Spirit does a work of unveiling the truth of who Jesus Christ is in our heart and our mind, we now begin this lifetime journey of Holy Spirit empowered transformation and this happens through the gospel as well the Holy Spirit uses the gospel as the primary tool for working with us in a process of lifelong transformation have a look with me in 2nd Corinthians 3:18. we will see that Paul again writing the Corinthians says this and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul's writing to the Corinthians and he's reminding them here of the path of transformation. This is the path of a disciple, being transformed from one degree of glory to another. God saves us and then graciously and lovingly he doesn't leave us as we are. He changes us. He transforms us. And here Paul is unfolding for them, the Corinthians and us, how this works. He says there, it's by beholding the glory of the Lord. Have a look there in that verse again. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, looking at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. What's Paul saying there? He's saying this, as we see and as we grasp the beauty of God, the glory of God, the Spirit works within us, change. Something's beginning to change. Something's happening inside of us. Let me just throw this question up. Where do we primarily see the beauty of God? Some might say, oh, I saw that this morning at about 5.30, quarter to six or quarter past six. I just saw that sunrise and it was just glorious. Well, some might say, I went on a walk the other week and I got to the top of this mountain, I looked out over the valley and I just saw the glory of God. You did. You did. Um, the, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. You did see that. But the clearest place, the clearest place where we see the glory of God is in the scriptures, is in the gospel. It is in the Bible. What have we just seen in Ephesians chapter 2? As we looked at that, as we saw that revealing of who God is, what do we see there? We just saw the amazing love of God take dead sinners and bring them back to life. We saw that. We actually understood what's taken place. This is a work of God. I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it. But God does it for me. 
And when I see that, which is the glory of God revealed there, when I see that, what does that do? I marvel at God. I look at that and I think, I can't believe that. I don't deserve that. But you do that for me. Why? God says he loves me. And he reveals his truth to me. I've set my one and only son. And by his wombs, I've been ransomed. I look at that and I say, God, you are glorious. You're wonderful. And I see the glory of God here through the scriptures. The Holy Spirit brings that alive in my heart. And as I said before, as we think about the, 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 the Bible, it is the gospel from page one to page, could be 1,252, depending on how many pages are in your Bible. Genesis 1, Revelation 22. It is one story of God's grand salvation story from cover to cover. Let me paint this picture here for you of continual gospel transformation in our lives. Our lives before God comes along, well we saw that picture there before the other one, but here's this one. Our lives before God comes along is like an overgrown garden. It's an overgrown garden, picture that in your mind. The part, you're probably thinking of your own garden straight away, aren't you? It's overgrown at the back. Picture this, the paths are in place. The arbour is there. The pond is in its right position. And the flowers and the shrubs are in their beds. But the garden is out of control. It's really out of control. It's covered by thick, prickly weeds that are choking out the flowers. And there are these massive, uh, vigorous, poisonous vines that are actually winding their way up the trees in your garden and they are squeezing the life out of those trees. So much so are these vines out of control that they are blocking all the sun out and the garden is absolutely darkened. The form of the garden is there but it's absolutely out of control. It's overgrown and overtaken by weeds. In this picture of transformation, God, as it were, comes in and he cuts this hole through the top of the canopy and all of a sudden light is beginning to break in to this darkened garden. The Holy Spirit arrives as our live-in gardener. He comes in to begin to make everything new within this garden. And he now works within us, pulling out these weeds of brokenness and destruction in our lives. And this work of, of the weed pulling that is done is mostly and primarily by the Holy Spirit working in our minds, getting us thinking right, getting us thinking true, getting us thinking straight. Because often we will approach situations and deal with things with faulty thinking. We'll either go into something with an unloving attitude or a selfish attitude and then a weed grows. Because we just come with it the wrong way, thinking the wrong way. The Spirit takes a truth from the Gospel, as it were, to apply that to that weed, to that wrong thinking, to that sinful attitude, to that selfish attitude. The Holy Spirit applies that Gospel truth to the weed and then the weed slowly dies because its falseness has been exposed by the truth of God's Word in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's this life of transformation taking place. It's weed by weed as the truth of the gospel is applied to the way we think. Here's how Paul uh, said it to the Romans. He said this in Romans chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God 
which is your spiritual worship? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What's Paul saying here when he says this? Uh, prior to Romans chapter 12, there's Romans 1 to 11. There's 11 chapters of Romans. And really what Paul is doing there in Romans is explaining the gospel really clearly and detailed in 11 chapters. It's fantastic reading. And then he says this, I appeal to you because of all of the basis and the truth of the gospel in those 11 chapters that I've explained to you, no longer live in the ways of this ungodly world. Don't live like this anymore. Paul says, but be transformed, be renewed, be made new. How? By the new thinking of your mind in the gospel. Be transformed by all I've just explained to you over the previous 11 chapters in Romans there. This is the transformational process of a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's continually applying the truth that we hear through the gospel into our hearts and lives. It's a continual process of hearing and seeing the transforming and redeeming truths of the gospel. It comes in each and every time and it takes out a weed. It just destroys another weed in our garden. And slowly and surely and bit by bit, the garden's beginning to take shape again as the Spirit works with us as we apply the gospel to our lives. This just doesn't happen once. It happens I was going to say day by day, but it's probably hour by hour, and sometimes it could be minute by minute, depending on where our lives are up to at the moment. It's a continual process. It's a continual transformation that's taking place, that we are bringing the truth of the gospel into my life. It's actually becoming my life. My life is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about the gospel. He saves me from sin, and he keeps saving me from sinful thinking as well that leads to sinful actions and all the consequences that are associated with that. And this continual renewing of my mind or applying the truth of the gospel by beholding the glory of the Lord through the scriptures, this grows me into a fruitful and flourishing disciple of Jesus Christ, which is the core of our mission making disciples in a fruitful and flourishing living and loving relationship with him and as I continue to apply this gospel to mine and live it out by faith I experience the joy and blessing of living in a close relationship with Christ we never leave the gospel behind it's not something I hear once and then I just move on it's something I'm always living in the redeeming truth of the gospel, continually being applied to my heart and my mind and continually changing me. So what does that mean then as we think about this uh, for our Exchange Church Vision Plan 2025? In our vision plan, uh, we have there as one of our key values, God's word or the gospel. The gospel is the primary tool that God has given us to grow as disciples and also to help others become disciples. So we put it there as a key value. It's actually first cab off the rank. It is God's word. We are a Bible-believing and a Bible-teaching church. We are convinced, convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that God reveals uh, the gospel clearly to us through his word. 
So we want to, in all ways, uh, bring the Bible into our lives because we know it's our life that is found here in the Scriptures. So we'll always be speaking about the Bible, always be speaking about the Gospel so that Jesus can be magnified and glorified in our life and so that our knowledge in him can grow. And as we saw last week, it's not meant to be just a knowledge of intellectual increase, but it's a knowledge that actually fuels our affections and our love for Christ as we see who he is and what he's done for us. So the Bible is key. It's key for growing the mission. We will never leave the scriptures behind. They will always be front and centre with us as the Spirit works through them. What else does it do for our uh, vision plan? Well, we also have in there as one of our key growth areas in our vision plan is building up. Building up. You might, what does that mean, you might ask? It means that we want to see people growing, maturing and flourishing in their faith. We want to see people actually actively growing and enjoying who Jesus is, enjoying their relationship with him. We, we want to see people continually being transformed and growing so their relationship not only with God but with each other is in a fruitful place and is achieving victory over the brokenness of our lives because that's exactly what the Spirit wants to do within us as well. It doesn't want us to be, as it were, enslaved in the, in the chains of sin but to be able to break those chains and break free of those habits that keep binding us up. That's what being built up is about. Where does that building up happen? Probably a silly question. You guessed it. It's in the gospel is where we are built up. That's what actually grows us. Our faith or our belief in Jesus Christ and the redeeming truth of the gospel comes from living in it, being immersed in it, by reading it, by praying that God will open our eyes up to see it, to think about it, to reflect on it. Understanding and knowing this, that the more we do that, the more we will believe it and the more it becomes a part of us. Think of this, it's a bit like a fisherman. What's he do? He reads about all sorts of lures and baits, doesn't he? He thinks about uh, maybe new rods and reels. He might check out the boat shop for a new boat to do his fishing in. He reads about the spots where the fish are biting. And what does that happen to a fisherman when he does that? his love for fishing probably increases, doesn't it? It won't decrease, it'll probably increase. And it's no different for us. As we live in the gospel, it becomes part of us. It actually begins to uh, work into every area and aspect of our lives and it shapes and forms everything that we do. And when this happens, Jesus becomes my life. Now, how do you explain that? It's really hard to explain, but... Everything I do is framed and shaped by Jesus, by the gospel. I think it's a bit like this in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, when he's writing to the Christians, he says this, Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This seems a bit unreal what Peter's saying here, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. But this is reality. This is the supernatural work that God does in each and every individual who believes in the gospel. What, Paul, what Peter is capturing here is a life with these people that is absolutely immersed and infused with the gospel with the redeeming truth of who Jesus Christ is. These people are living in it. And this is what Peter's saying here. It's a life that where you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. 
If you know the background of these people, it's a suffering church here. They're heavily persecuted. But they're rejoicing with inexpressible joy because their life is filled with the gospel. Their life is filled with Jesus Christ. So we'll continue here at, at Exchange and, and encourage all people, spur all people on to live in the gospel, to live in God's word, to read that, to grow in that. And we'll continue to, to encourage people here to be committed to our Sunday gatherings as we do this on Sunday mornings. What are we doing when we come and gather? We're hearing the gospel again. It's building us up. It's, it's seeing Jesus grow larger and larger within us. It's getting a bigger and bigger vision of who Jesus Christ is. He's not somebody I put in my pocket and just pull out on Sunday mornings. He's with me all the time. He's my life. He's the redeeming truth of, it, or, of what I need to be shaped into. We'll encourage people here to meet one-to-one -one with each other. We all catch up as friends. Wouldn't it be great if we said, hey, why don't we catch up this time? And why don't we open up a book of the Bible and just, just read a passage and just talk about it? Now, you might, that might sound foreign to you, thinking, oh, I've never done I normally just have coffee and we just talk about footy or cricket. What about if we met together and we opened up a book of the Bible and just read a passage like Ephesians chapter 2 and just talk to each other about that? I'll tell you what will happen. You'll walk away encouraged. You'll actually walk away built up. You'll walk away with your faith growing. I've done it with a number of people and it's very positive. You actually grow in Christ. So what does all this do? It's taking the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, as the primary vehicle that God has given us to make and grow disciples in a living and loving relationship with God. The most glorious relationship you could ever have. So for this mission and this vision, we're inviting you. We are inviting you to go deeper into the gospel. We're inviting you to get a bigger vision of who Jesus is. An all-consuming vision of who Jesus is. And sometimes, oh, but won't that make me too heavenly minded that I'm no earthly good? That is just a lie. You could never be like that. The more that Jesus is in your life, the more that you'll clearly see into this world and know how to live in this world. And we know and we understand from personal experience, the bigger that Jesus grows in our hearts and our lives, the more that I am motivated to take this same Jesus into the community. Because what did we see last week? 69,000 people living around about us here and the greatest shepherd in Goulburn Valley area. How many of those do we say aren't believers at this stage? 67,000 people. We want to invite them into this gospel relationship with Jesus. We want to see them experience the same Christ that those ones in 1 Peter experienced, a joy that is inexpressible. That's the invitation today, to go deeper in the gospel and deeper into Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise today as we come and as we gather this morning. And uh, Lord, we see that you have given us the right tools for this glorious mission. God, generosity plus. You've given us your son. You've given us the life-changing message of your son. And you've given us the power of your spirit to work through that message. So I pray today, Lord, please, please grow our hearts in that gospel message. 
The Lord, is, as foreign as it may sound in some people's ears, about believing in some person who died on a cross 2,000 years ago, and that that is the way of their salvation. Lord, help us to put faith and trust absolutely and implicitly in that message. Knowing, Lord, it is you who saves people, it is you who takes people off the bottom of the ocean and brings them to the surface and breathes new life into them. And you do that through the message of Jesus Christ. Quicken us now, we pray, Holy Spirit, with that truth, as we take that into the greatest shepherd in Golden Valley area and the world beyond, that we will know and we will see you do good things in rescuing and saving people and building your kingdom here upon earth. God, we ask and we pray that now in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Neville's going to come now and just uh, lead us around the communion table. So Neville, if you want to come do that, it would be great. Thanks. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> I don't like these things. If you were visiting with us for the first time today or um, you haven't been to a communion service here before and you're in a living um, relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord, then you are welcome to join with us as we remember his work for us on Calvary. But if Jesus isn't your Lord and he is not your saviour, then we would just request that you abstain from this aspect of the service. Thank you. Babies. We love babies. But what happens if they don't grow? We have a little, Emily's going to have a bubs, we've got other little bubs here. We love them, but if they don't grow, are we rejoicing in that? No, something's wrong. We want to see growth. Todd's been talking about death and life. The dead body and the living body. Is there a difference between a dead body and a living body? The dead body can do nothing useful. The living body can do all that God required it to do. There's a distinction between the dead and the living. There's a distinction. And that distinction in the Christian's life should be an ongoing one, a transforming one. So the questions we ask is, like, again, what Tom is saying, are we being transformed by the renewing of our minds through the work of the gospel, or are we being conformed back to the world? You're not going to do, it's one or the other. There's no middle ground. We're either growing in Christ or we're falling back. And as we wouldn't rejoice in that as a child, we don't rejoice in it as those who profess faith. The transforming work of the gospel is the outworking of our repentance and of our faith. Or as Paul puts it in Ephesians 2.10, which was on the board, we are now God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And the Spirit is the one who applies that gospel to our lives. The Spirit is the one who brings us to that um, point of new life. He is the one who opens the word of God to us to show us Jesus on the cross and what, what price was paid for us. Is he a good worker? If you say you have the Holy Spirit in your life, are you evidence, evidencing the work of a good, transforming Holy Spirit? Or are you being conformed to the world as it goes along? Paul's question. We're talking here about the works of salvation, the works of the saved, not works to earn salvation. And that distinction needs to be made. When Paul last spoke to the Ephesians in Acts chapter 20, he reminded them that the main focus of his message was repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 26, when he's giving his defence before Agrippa, he stated that his whole message was that all should repent 
and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to their repentance. To the Corinthians he said, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith, to see if the Spirit of God is living in you, working within you. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves to see if Jesus Christ is in you. Jesus himself said to those who are following him, he says, the way you treat your fellow brothers and sisters tells you what relationship you have with me. If you hate your brother, you hate me. If you don't feed him when he's hungry, you don't feed me. If you see him naked and lacking and you don't help him, you don't do it for me. So how we live, how we function is important in the, in the kingdom. In that illustration, um, he's talking about the judgment where those who profess to call him Lord, Lord will be considered by this measure. And when we come to the passage that Paul uses in Corinthians 11, speaking about this time we're having together now of communion, it's in the context of where the brethren are not treating each other as they should. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you have Christ in your life, and I have the Holy Spirit and I have Christ in my life, then we should be one. We should be one, and that should be evidenced. And we shouldn't see the distinctions that sometimes are seen, especially what we saw in the Corinthian church. So to the um, Corinthians there in chapter 11, Paul said, he urged self-examination of them. He said, let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink, and drink of the cup. Examine yourself. Is Christ in you? Is, is the spirit in you? Is the word of God dwelling in you? Well, these are the important things. That's why we said at the beginning, if you don't know Christ, this communion is not for you. Not because you're any worse than us, because you haven't got Christ. And that was all of us at one stage. There were 12 disciples when Jesus, on that last night, um, instituted the Lord's Supper. All of them were unworthy. But 11 of them had been declared clean because they'd been washed by the, the promise of what was coming in Christ's death and resurrection. But there was one who was not clean, Judas. And what was the char- what was it that characterised Judas? Self reigned in his life. He hadn't died to self. Christ died for us, we are to die to self and to live for him. Judas hadn't died to self and he was indeed, um, we know the outcome of that. So the question is, have we been washed? Have you been washed? Have I been washed? Are we clean through the gospel's power? Are we being sanctified and cleansed day by day? Then this feast is for us. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, Paul says, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink and in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So mindful of these things, let us eat and drink together until he returns. So eat and drink in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, what a price you paid that we might be called the children of God. Lord, the fact that you planned this before you even created the earth, 
that your Son and you and your Holy Spirit together determined that you would be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Lord, you were not caught by surprise. You knew what would happen if you created a people that you could um, have a relationship with and who could freely and, and joyfully relate back to you. And so, Lord, we just thank you for who you are, for what you've done, and for all that you've promised for your people. And so we rejoice, Father. And we do ask, Lord, that more and more we shall be a people who reflect your glory in us, your image in us, your likeness in us, Lord, as your spirit through the gospel and your word takes, takes root in our lives. So be with us, so help us, so, so strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Just as the uh, music team come back to lead us in one last song, um, I'm going to be in the front. If you have any questions about today's talk or would uh, 